today on Ag News Daily. He ended up getting a lot of moisture, um, too much moisture, of course, over the, the growing period. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's Mike Pearson here, your sole host for today's podcast. Delaney has been beset by technical difficulties, so it's just me flying the plane. But before we get into the world of agriculture news, I've got to say a huge thank you to my fantastic neighbors. A lot of our listeners I know got hit with that, uh, or will get hit, today into tomorrow with the massive thunderstorm that is, or thunderstorm, snowstorm. That makes a little more sense this time of year. It is rolling across the high plains, hit the Midwest yesterday, is pushing itself eastward now. We got hit last night when I went to bed at 9.30 or, I mean, 11.30 because I was up partying and being cool. Um, at about 9.30, 10 o'clock, there was very little snowfall. And I thought, well, the meteorologist missed the boat on this deal. We're not going to get a storm. Hey, I'm not worried about it. Well, we wake up this morning. Heidi likes to go and work out at 5 o'clock in the morning for some reason. So she goes out. I wake up. She goes out. She goes, oh, we're not going to be able to get the cars out. And I said, oh, yeah, I can get your car out, hon. No big deal. We don't have a blade for the tractor, so it's shoveling is the only other alternative. And I was like, we don't need to shovel. I'll just put the hammer down and get you out of here and get you off to work working out. Well, needless to say, that didn't quite work out as planned. I ended up getting her car a lot more stuck than she had initially managed to do. Got it catastrophically stuck, some might say. Well, no big deal. I'll just fire up the big Alice Chalmers 7060, hook a chain on, and whew, have her on her way in no time. Well, of course, the batteries are dead on the 7060, and the fuel had gelled up, so we got that part all taken care of, backed it down, knocked down the drifts in front of her car just a little bit, hooked the chain up, hooked the chain up to the drawbar of the 7060, go to put it into second gear, and it died. Huh. Well, I was out of fuel. All right, third option. We go back to the house, we get in my car, the Lincoln, the 78 Lincoln Continental, 6,000 pounds of steel and 400 cubic inches of power. Think if nothing else, this will get out of the snow. Well, ended up, long story short, backed it into basically the ditch beside our house, got that one stuck as well. Finally, Heidi had a friend come and pick her up for work. She made it to work on time, didn't get to work out. Finally, I got the Lincoln unstuck, and about that time, my neighbors, the Renos, came driving up, Brent Reno, with his skid steer and plowed out the driveway and then went down and helped me unstick Heidi's car. We got her moving, and I tell you what, folks, get to know your neighbors. I'm very lucky to have the set of neighbors we do here. I hope all of you listeners have great neighbors, or perhaps you are great neighbors yourselves. So that's my little update. Wanted to give a shout out to them. I don't know if the Renos listen, but I do know that they are good people who have taken good care of Heidi and I since we've moved in out here. Well, that's the good news. The bad news is we've got some, we got a report from President Trump's chief economist said earlier today that the partial government shutdown could wipe out an entire quarter of growth, gross domestic product if it lasts, and here's the caveat, until the end of March. So if it goes for another, what, 10 weeks, then we'd have you know some serious concerns when we're looking at GDP. The reason I like to say this matters is because we've talked about it before. 
GDP, the strength of the overall economy, is a great barometer for how hungry people are for those higher value proteins, which we need to see continue to take place, both because we do have a lot of cattle and hogs out there, and because we've got a lot of grain and feedstock out there that we need to work through those animals. So we need to keep on killing as fast as we can. So there's some, some, there's some concern there if the shutdown should linger. Uh, just an update on the cash cattle trade. We had a few cattle trade yesterday on Tuesday, which I thought was interesting. $2 cheaper than last week, so we are seeing a bit a bit of weakness there in the cash trade. But the slaughter continues to run north of 600,000 head. This week, they're expected to kill 618,000, 24,000 more than this same week a year ago. So good news there is that domestic demand continues to be the driver for this beef industry. That's the word on the beef side of the protein ledger. We've got some news here that the U.S. and China are going to be getting together to discuss African swine fever. Uh, they got together here in mid-January and they were looking at basically solutions for the growing number of African swine fever outbreaks in China. This was the seventh U.S.-China Swine Industry Symposium and uh, it was put together by the U.S. Grains Council, the U.S. Meat Export Federation, plus uh, you know, some Chinese dignitaries, and about 200 industry folks gathered in Beijing to talk about this disease. Um, Brian Lohman, who is uh, from U.S. Grains Council, said, quote, Fortunately, a large share of China's pork production comes from modern operations with strict biosecurity controls, and that will spare much of that production. But he does say we need to learn more about the disease and that will help in expanding biosecurity measures to contain it for the global pork industry. Remember, we've been talking a lot about ASF here on the podcast as these outbreaks have swollen in China, but it continues to be a bugbear across much of Eastern Europe. Uh, Poland has been hit, or at least parts of Poland have been hit, uh, Turkey, Russia, the Ukraine, they've all already got this African swine fever. Uh, so it's Western Europe and the United States are, are North America, I should say, China or Canada doesn't have it either. But we're kind of the holdouts. We're the ones uh, carrying the bag on this deal, keeping it out of our borders. So we need to continue to maintain that. Got some other news here. The USDA, this is big news, and I hope you have all been paying attention to this. Sonny Perdue announced yesterday that all Farm Service Agency offices will reopen to provide additional administrative services to farmers and ranchers during the lapse in federal funding. Basically, your FSA office is open, and they will be processing applications for the market facility facilitation payments, Those uh, the, the Trump bailout. Um, that now is, those wheels are rolling again. The deadline for signing up for that program, for getting your production records into the FSA, has been extended to February 15th. So you need to hustle up, get get in there, and, uh, and get that money. I mean, that's what it's there for. Go ahead and, and go get it. Uh, the FSA offices, I, I should clarify, they will be open on Thursday, the 24th. I misspoke. They're not open today. They begin tomorrow. Uh, they will be back to work for two weeks. And then after two weeks, if there is still a government shutdown, then they're going to be open three days a week until the shutdown concludes. But when you go in to talk to your FSA folks, remember, they're there working without pay. 
That sucks. So be on our best behavior. Let's be polite. Let's be courteous. They are going to be slammed with requests after the past 33 days of government shutdowns. And they aren't earning a paycheck. Uh, they will get back pay when eventually the shutdown is concluded. But, um, you know, heck, we all know what deferred payment's like. It kind of stings a little bit for the time being. So be polite, be helpful, be courteous, take them some donuts or whatever your your FSA folks' uh, favorite treat is. Lord knows they're going to need the extra energy to get through these next couple of weeks. Now, we do have a fantastic interview. Delaney and I had the chance to speak with a Minnesota grower named Matt Greenow yesterday, and uh, we're going to bring that conversation to you here in just a little bit. But before we do that, I'm going to jump into the markets. And our markets, folks, are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can get in touch with Zaner. You can reduce your marketing risk by giving them a shout. Dial them up at 312-277-0050 or visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. Mixed trade in the corn market today with March corn down a quarter penny at 378 and three quarters. The May contract unchanged on the day at eight at 387 and a quarter. In soybeans, the March contract up five and three quarters to finish at 9.15 even. The May contract up six cents to close the day at 9.28 and three quarters. In Chicago wheat, that March contract up four and three quarter cents at 5.26 even. The May also up four and three quarters to close at 5.31 and three quarters. Jumping over to livestock, some strength in the cattle complex today. The February live cattle contract up 42 and a half cents at 125.55. April up 42 and a half as well, finished at 126.55. In feeder cattle, the March contract up $2.15 on the day to close at $143.65. April up $1.7250 to finish at $144.67 and a half. And some weakness in lean hogs. The February contract down 70 cents at $60.77.50. The April down $1.25 to close the day at $64.85. Of course, we can't forget about our friends in the dairy industry. January Class 3 milk down a penny at $13.98, with the February off 14 cents to close at $13.99. Without further ado, let's hear from Matt Greeno and learn what life was like this past year in Minnesota. Today we are talking with a producer near Mankato, Minnesota, Matt Greeno. Matt, tell us a little bit about your operation there in south central southwest um, Minnesota. Sure. Um, so yeah, we uh, we farm about uh, twelve miles southwest of Mankato, Minnesota, kind of right uh, right in the dead center, south central Minnesota. Um, I farm uh, corn and soybean crop farm operation. Um, it's my brother Mike and I that uh, that run the farm, and uh, I also have a seed business. Um, that I run alongside the farm as well. Now, Matt, we've got listeners all across the country, and everybody likes to talk about how the last growing season went. Tell us a little bit. How was uh, 2018 for crops in South Central Minnesota? Uh, you know, on our farm, we were uh, we were mixed. Um, we uh, we were kind of split right on a line where we uh, we were late getting started with planting. Um, but uh, when I say we were on the line, as we continued through the growing season, we ended up getting a lot of moisture, um, too much moisture, of course, over the, the growing period. And uh, it kind of adversely affected uh, most of our yields. We did have some good areas, but uh, I would say 
you know, 60 to 75% of our crop ended up, you know, below average on, on yield, just because we received too much moisture um, during that, that growing season. Oh boy. Anytime you're fighting mud, nobody's having a whole lot of fun. Was, was did it get any better close to harvest? Um, you know, we didn't, uh, we didn't get a whole lot of relief. We got to play in the mud uh, during harvest also. Um, thankfully, <laughs> I don't think I can recall us getting anything stuck, but uh, it wasn't, uh, there was not much relief through that either. And then uh, uh, it turned cold on us pretty quick. Um, there was some tillage that uh, was, was uh, having to be done kind of in marginal conditions. We did end up completing most everything that we wanted to complete. Um, but in our area as a whole, I would say there's there's things that didn't get done. Yeah, I think producers kind of across the Midwest and U.S. are definitely facing some of those issues. Matt, I want to kind of back things up a little bit here. You obviously are a, a farmer and work in the ag industry now, but you haven't always mm-hmm. worked in the ag industry. Tell us a little bit about your background as a police officer and what made you decide to go either back to farming or or, or uh I guess, join your brother farming. Sure. Yeah, no. So, uh, so I've been on the farm. This is going to be my, uh, this is going to be my eighth crop that I planted, um, that I will plant here in 2019. Um, back in, uh, I guess, uh, let's see, 2000. Um, I, uh, started out as a police officer. I was a, a canine handler, um, for a police department. And, uh, then I, I, um, went to a, a different police department, uh, just kind of working my way up the ranks and uh, went to work for a larger city. And uh, I was a detective um, for a police department here uh, near Mankato. Um, and so a total of about 12 years in law enforcement. Um, in 2011, um, our farm, my, my dad and my brother were farm, are, uh, operating our farm together. And uh, they had grown the farm to the point that uh, there was possibly going to be an opportunity for another family member to join. So um, there was some talk about that. And then uh, in, at the end of 2011, we kind of made the decision that my dad was ready to start a transition out and uh, start his retirement plans. So that gave me an opportunity to come back to the farm. And I, uh, I gladly accepted that challenge as it turns out to be. Um, <laughs> but we, uh, I guess uh, backing up, I I went into law enforcement uh, right out of college, and that was something that I had um, chosen because at the time there just was not uh, basically not not an opportunity for me at our farm. So I always I always uh, did uh, I was in the area of our farm throughout my law enforcement career, so I was able to help out in the spring and the fall and that type of thing. But uh, was never a, uh, an opportunity for me to come back until 2011, and um, I guess it. Uh, some people thought I was probably crazy for uh, for giving up a, a really good job and all the benefits and things to to come back and and farm and join the operation. But I guess I knew uh, that's what was right for me and my family. I've got a really young family at the time, and I just uh, kind of talked to my wife about it, and we thought that was going to be the right decision. And honestly, I I guess I've never looked back on it. I still uh, I still do have my police officer license to this day, um, but uh, I don't ever anticipate going back. Um, into that um, sector and I really even though farming is at it's at kind of a low and a, and a challenging point I still I still think I have the the best job now and I and I enjoy it every day so 
You know, Matt, we hear a lot of people talk about that transition from one generation to the next, and and everybody's mm-hmm. got a different way of doing it. Can you tell us a little bit about how it worked with your father transitioning out, you coming in? I, I know sometimes that can be challenging for folks. What were some of the things you learned in the process of getting involved with the operation? Yeah, it was, and I think you know, anytime anytime you have family uh, together and, and and trying to come up with a plan like that, it can be challenging. Luckily, uh, both my brother and I uh, get along real well, and and uh, um, obviously we're working together now and and uh, farming the farm together. But uh, when I came in, and I, I think this was a good a good opportunity for me, and the and the way I was transitioned in was um, at first I was I was somewhat of an employee and had a small share in uh, in some of the crops when I came in, and just kind of started to get my feet wet that way as far as. You know, I'd been away from the farm for quite some time outside of just working as labor. So for me to start out um, small, probably over uh, what I would call the five-year period, um, that year one, starting out real small on acres and, and getting adjusted to, you know, marketing techniques and uh, just the overall operation in general. Um, it was it was challenging at first, and there was a lot to learn, and I learned a, a ton in that five-year period um, from both my brother and my dad. And so my dad kind of officially retired in uh, 2016 was his last um, official year on the, on the farm, and he still helps us out um, spring and fall with labor, and, and he's still around all the time, obviously, if we need anything or have any questions, and, and he's very, uh, it's very nice to have that. But um, that's kind of how we went about it, and I... I uh, I guess I appreciate the fact that I was able to kind of slowly um, transition in um, over that period. Yeah, that's great when you have that opportunity to not be forced to make a decision or or forced to figure out that transition in a a fast process. Matt, tell us a little bit Mm -hmm. about your your seed career. When did you decide that it was a good fit for you to maybe earn some supplemental income off the farm? Sure. Yeah, that was uh, that was another thought of mine too. I didn't I didn't know um, coming back into the farm. I didn't know how much extra time I would have. You know, we all think, oh gosh, farmers, you know, crop farmers have the winter off and <laughs> that kind of good stuff. Well, it turns out that we uh, we seem to keep ourselves pretty busy year round. But uh, that was one of my one of my concerns because I don't like to to sit still much. So I thought um, we were just approached um, almost uh, at the same time that I was coming back to the farm. We were approached by a, a seed company. Um, district sales uh, manager and he was asking my dad if you know if we were interested in taking on a seed dealership and my dad had said you know what uh, my youngest son Matt is going to be coming back to the farm next year and and he had that would probably be something that he might be interested in so just went ahead and met with them and and we worked out a deal and it kind of went from there and so each year the the seed business has kind of grown and and uh, been a good opportunity for me to get out and and uh, and meet other farmers and, and take a look at other people's operations and also obviously a good supplemental income to the uh, the farming also. And Matt, because we've got a seed dealer on the line, I've got to ask you, South Central Minnesota <laughs> 2019, are you going to see more corn acres, do you think? Um, you know what? My numbers are indicating that, yes. Yep. That's what we're, uh, that's what we're seeing or across my portfolio including our own farm yeah that's that's what i'm seeing there's it's it's not a it's not a huge shift but um we did have uh i would say we were a little heavier in soy last year and uh looks like kind of those acres are getting switched just uh rotated back to corn for next year gotcha gotcha not a whole lot of beans on beans up there this year i would imagine 
No, it doesn't look that way. Nope. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> well, now, Matt, let's let's talk a little bit about the future. You guys are corn and soybeans. Of course, Minnesota water quality has been a real hot button topic up there. What have you guys done on your farm or, or what do you think you will be doing over the next couple of years to kind of keep that mm-hmm. that monkey off your back to ensure that the you know water quality remains uh, remains good up there? Yep. Yeah. Um, well, we've kind of been something that we've always been um, concerned about. Um, we are very avid users of uh, of the lakes in this area and, and water in general. Um, we have uh, we've been primarily, I guess, we've been spring um, applied nitrogen uh, since I can remember, um, incorporated in immediately, um, kind of just following uh, the strict guidelines by what we're putting down. Um, back in 2012 and 2013, first when um, when the gentleman down in Iowa first uh, introduced or created the Y drops before Y drops were um, uh, bought up even by uh, I'm not sure who had bought them, but um, the the first gentleman to introduce those, we bought a, a set of those and were split applying nitrogen um, just just to see how that worked out for us. Um, and what benefits that could maybe bring to the table if, if in fact, we did need to go to a program like that. Um, we have uh, had a lot of our ditches, our uh, drainage ditches and, and county ditches and things that have been implemented with um, buffer strips um, because of uh, because of the buffer law up here. And so that's another, another thing that we put into place there. Um, those are just things off the top of my head that, that I guess we're doing and, and we are kind of keeping our finger on the pulse as far as the, the water quality issues. And I, I think right now we're, um, and, I'll, and I'll, I can speak for most all the farmers in our area that I'm in contact with or I see, and I think everybody is is really, uh, really on top of that and is are doing best practices with that in mind. Matt, really the other hot button issue when you look at, especially from a seed stance, is, you know, weed management and dicamba and whatnot. What are mm-hmm. you seeing as far as trends for 2019, as far as traits or varieties that growers that you're working mm-hmm. with are going to be implementing on their operations? Yeah, I see a lot of, um, I see a lot of the Extend products um, going out the door. And um, I think, I think uh, producers plan on, on using that um, if they can. Um, this year we were a little pinched for time. Um, with the uh, the guidelines or the the uh, things that were put into place um, for when the the uh, extend technology can be used, I guess I think everyone's hoping that we get planted a little earlier and those those spring windows will open up for us and we can use those. We we were able to use them uh, the prior year and we had really good success with it. Um, and this this year, the stuff that was put down, I think uh, people were were happy with how it worked, and people are following the guidelines, and and it's working a lot better than what it did uh, when it was first rolled out. And there was some hiccups along the way, but as far as I know, there was uh, very very few um, complaints put out there this year as far as drift issues and things like that. Um, and uh, that that's what I'm seeing on our end, anyways. Awesome. Well, Matt Greeno, thank you so much for your time today. Maybe we'll have to have you on again here once we hit planting yeah, for this next year. Hey, that sounds great. Anytime. 
Well, a big thanks to Matt for taking time out of his busy schedule to, to sit down and have a chat with us. It's always great to hear from producers in other parts of the country. If you're a grower in the Pacific Northwest, in the Northeast, in the Southeast, we want to hear from you. We just want to tell your story, let our listeners know what uh, how last year was for you, what were the challenges, what were the triumphs you faced. Reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook and on Twitter. Just search for Ag News Daily. We'll be there. Or you can visit our website at agnewsdaily.com. Our contact information is right there. With that, folks, since it's just me, I'm going to let you go. (laughs) 